Today on Let the Bible Speak. The Bible is clear about the fact that the Holy Spirit is responsible for converting people. But how does he do so? That's an important and controversial question. And we'll let the Bible address it next. And welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Heaven works in cooperative concert to bring about the redemption of fallen sinners. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, and He performs an essential role in the conversion of sinners to Christ, thus affecting our salvation. Now, there are different approaches to this aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. God the Son came and executed the plan of redemption by dying on Calvary's cross as the one and only sufficient offering for sin. And he rose again by the power of the Spirit that we might be justified through faith in the Christ. But then when he returned to heaven, the Holy Spirit came, revealing and confirming this completed scheme. And by him, this was published and made known to the world then and for all time. We will deny one of the plainest truths of Scripture if we deny that the Holy Spirit is the person and the power who brings people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He most certainly does. But how does he do so? Some would argue that, well, we cannot know, that He just does. They posit that the Holy Spirit exerts some inward influence on the mind and heart of the sinner that mysteriously creates faith within the heart. But the Scriptures give us clear indication that the Holy Spirit performs this work in a definite way. In what is sometimes called Jesus' farewell address, recorded in John 14, 15, and 16, The Lord is describing to the apostles the help that they would soon receive after His death and resurrection and return to glory. They would not be left alone and powerless in the work He assigned them as His apostles to do. Rather, according to John 14, verse 16, He would send them a comforter, which is translated in other translations, a helper. That's what the original word means. It could mean an intercessor or one who stood next to one and pleaded their case before a judge, but in a broader sense, it just simply means one who comes alongside to help or assist. The Spirit of God, in other words, would provide the power and resources the apostles would need to publish the glad tidings of salvation and Christ's kingdom after Jesus returned to glory and was enthroned. In chapter 16 of John, Jesus says, beginning in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you, uh, the truth, it, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice, when the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles, he would convict the world of sin. He would convince men they are sinners and in need of salvation. Also of righteousness. God's means of justifying sinners and declaring them righteous, and convince them of judgment, that is, to convince men and women of the downfall of Satan's kingdom and all who follow him, and thus the triumph of Christ's kingdom. How would this work be performed? It would be done through his work in the apostles. Now, we'll explore that idea today in our lesson, How the Holy Spirit Converts Sinners, after a song.
work of the Holy Spirit in conversion and salvation has long been misunderstood and usually shrouded in mysticism. The expression some have used to describe his convicting and illuminating work is, well, it's better felt than told. In other words, we can't really know how the Spirit does what He does. We only know that He has done it. Admittedly, there are many things about all three of the Godhead that we cannot presently comprehend in this life with our finite minds. But this is not one of those things. That's because the Bible shows us how the Holy Spirit has worked in the Christian age to bring men and women to faith in Christ Jesus. I want to be very clear. It is not a question of does the Holy Spirit convict and convert sinners. The Bible makes it very plain that He does. Our question is how and when does He do so? Is this an abstract event that suddenly happens to someone? Does one hear an inner voice or are we given some kind of inward feeling or leading or is the Holy Spirit's work in salvation more objective than that? Can we know in more definite and provable terms that the Holy Spirit has influenced our hearts to be convicted of sin and to come to obedient and saving faith in Christ. And it's important that we see what the Bible shows us regarding this subject because misunderstanding the work of the Holy Spirit's influence upon the human heart and misrepresenting that influence has been the seedbed of much confusion and many a false doctrine. One such notion is that people have been led to believe they're under the influence of the Spirit of God when perhaps they're under the influence of something else, their own emotions or prejudices or desires. I'm not suggesting that this is intentional, but rather that it's possible to be deceived by false teaching so that we mistake our own will for God's will, our feelings for facts. Doesn't it stand to reason that God's will for us, saint or sinner, is important and vital enough that all of this should be in more objective terms than something as subjective and unreliable as the evidence of our feelings or personal experiences or some sort of an inward hunch? Well, let's explore that for a little bit today. There are at least two basic beliefs that people hold today regarding how the Holy Spirit leads people. First is the belief that the Holy Spirit operates upon the heart by exerting an influence apart from the Word that He has already given. This view suggests that the Holy Spirit is sent directly to the sinner's heart where He essentially performs a miracle there. And many years ago, it was common to hear people speak of the mourner's bench, this notion of a miraculous operation of the Spirit on the sinner's heart was the foundation of why people came to a mourner's bench. People would come forward at a service perhaps, they would kneel, they would pray, and they would pray, and they would often pray some more for God to send the Holy Spirit to save them. Some would stay there for a long while and never receive an answer, and they would leave disappointed while others claimed that God did send the Spirit and they were saved in that glorious encounter. Well, that was several generations ago, and most people today consider themselves a bit too sophisticated for that kind of thing, but the key belief of a direct operation of the Holy Spirit on the sinner's heart is certainly still held by many very sincere people. They will contend that you can preach until you're out of breath, and one will not be converted until the Holy Spirit comes and mysteriously and miraculously and abstractly operates upon that person's heart. This is predominantly the influence of Calvinism, a doctrine that has enjoyed a resurgence of popularity in recent years. The second idea of how the Holy Spirit operates in conversion, though, is that He does indeed convict and convert people, but that He does so through the medium of His Word. 
that the influence of the Spirit on the human heart should not be separated from the influence of the Word that He has already revealed. Now you may say, does that really make a difference, or are we splitting hairs? Well, it does make a difference because beliefs have consequences. And if we're misguided about how the Holy Spirit converts people, how can we know whether we've been converted in the first place? With all the diverse and often conflicting claims that people make about the Holy Spirit's leading and His influence and work in their lives, well, how could we know who the Holy Spirit is really leading and who He is not? Well, we could say by comparing the result with the Word, but doesn't that bring us back to the original proposition? Again, the question is, does the Holy Spirit, or the question is not, I should say, does the Holy Spirit convict and convert? The question is, does the Holy Spirit convict and convert by means of His Word? Or does He do so apart from that Word? Now, the answer to that question makes a world of difference in what we believe about many other things. Well, let's observe some truths about the Holy Spirit and also about His influence upon the heart. First, we should note that the Holy Spirit is a person not a thing, not a mere force or a concept or an idea. He is just as much a personality as God the Father and God the Son. He is referred to in the very same manner in Matthew 28 and verse 19 when Christ on earth commanded His apostles to baptize people, quote, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now people, I think, sometimes get the idea that the Holy Spirit is a mystical force instead of a personality, just like the other two in the Godhead. He possesses intelligence. He possesses the same divine nature, the same properties as the Father and the Son. He is of the same essence. And He is therefore an intelligent being that can and does communicate intelligently. He's not some force or feeling that inexplicably comes over people. Now, the term ghost or Holy Ghost, as the King James translation renders his title or description, has a modern connotation that is a little bit misleading. He, he is not something spooky or an apparition that does mysterious things, as some people imply when they use the word ghost in various contexts. Rather, it just means spirit, just as Jesus said in John 4 verse 24 that God is spirit. Well, is God just a force or a power? No, God is a divine being. He's a person. He's a personality in whom man is made in his image. Now the Holy Spirit has power that he bestowed upon the apostles and others in the New Testament. We certainly read about that. But he himself is a person. In John 16, Jesus used the personal pronoun, he or him, I believe at least nine times to refer to the Holy Spirit. Now if we would think of the Holy Spirit in the same way we think of God the Father or God the Son, much of the confusion and misunderstanding about His work could be cleared away. We can then see Him as an intelligent personality, and we can then see that He would influence our minds in a rational and intelligent way, just like God and Christ. Now, how does He exert this influence? It's an intelligent influence. How, how is it exerted? Where does it come from? That's the question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul there is reminding the church that he came to them at the first, not preaching the wisdom of the world, but rather declaring the wisdom of God. And he then shows them in great detail how that wisdom cannot be found in the mere thinking of men, but God has to reveal that wisdom to us. That wisdom has to be revealed from heaven. Now he did so through the agency of the, the apostles and the work of the Holy Spirit in and through them. And he says, picking up in verse 9, But as it is written, 
Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And that's not talking about heaven, but rather the plan of God to redeem man, which was a mystery known only to God until the revelation of the New Testament. That's what Paul's talking about there. He continues, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. That us is referring to He and the other apostles. He's revealed those things to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Listen now, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now get what he's saying here. One cannot know what is in another person's mind until that person articulates those thoughts. That's true with you, that's true with me, it's true with anybody, and the same is true with God. We don't somehow divine the mind and will of God through feelings and instincts and hunches and mysterious experiences and so on. God has made His mind known to man. How? Well, Paul explains. He continues, Now we, the apostles, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. He's talking there about the Holy Spirit. Who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Listen, these things, what things? The things given to us, the apostles, by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Please note how the Spirit of God makes known the mind and thus the will of God. He does so through the words he gave the apostles to speak and write. The knowledge of God does not come through the wisdom of this world or the product of man's thinking. It is those thoughts that God revealed to us in the form of words the Holy Spirit gave the apostles to speak and to write. Now that, my friend, is the pattern that we find all through the Scriptures. We find the Holy Spirit convicting, persuading, converting people through the word he revealed and confirmed in those who were inspired to speak it by miraculous signs and wonders. A study of the Bible will quickly reveal that the Holy Spirit has always influenced men and women for right through the use of divinely inspired but humanly spoken and written words. Now, this was true in the Old Testament. For example, we read in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 30 where the people confessed what God had done for their people, saying, Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen. Now how did the Spirit work to convict those people back then of their sins? He testified through the prophets, the prophets that he inspired to speak the will of God. Yet, he says, the people would not listen. Well, it's the same way today. When the Holy Spirit gave the apostles the gospel, we preach that gospel from the words of the apostles, and people either listen to it and heed it or they don't. You see, they chose to resist the Holy Spirit back then by choosing to resist the words that the Holy Spirit spoke through those prophets. Before the coming of Christ, the Hebrew writer makes clear that God communicated with the people through the words of the inspired prophets. God spoke in times past by the prophets, and now has spoken to us by His Son, Hebrews 1 and verse 1. And the apostles, of course, are the ambassadors of His Son, Christ Jesus, King Jesus. Peter said that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1 verse 21. David said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. And we find similar statements again and again. The Spirit convicted and instructed the people, not through things mystical and better felt than told, 
but rather through human language he inspired the holy prophets to speak and write down, which we know as the Old Testament scriptures. Now when we turn to the New Testament, we find the same pattern. Jesus in the farewell address we took our reading from at the beginning, told those he would send out as his twelve apostles that they would be furnished with the help they needed by the Spirit to complete the task they were appointed to perform. The Spirit, for example, would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all things he had said unto them. John 14, verse 26. Now why would he do that? Well, because these were mere human men who could not depend upon their fallible memories. They couldn't remember all the things that Jesus had said during his three and a half years with them. And Jesus had not yet revealed all of the new covenant truth to them. There was more to come after he left them upon returning to heaven in the ascension. But you see, the Holy Spirit would come. That's what he's promising. He would come alongside these apostles and he would give them the words to speak and the power to prove that God was speaking through them. And according to John 16 verse 8, it would be by this process that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now people, particularly of a Calvinist viewpoint, say the preaching and hearing of the Word and the convicting operation of the Holy Spirit are two different things. But no, you see, the Spirit of God convicts by means of the Word when it is preached. Friend, the Holy Spirit gave and confirmed the Word. Does it not thus have the power to do what it was sent out to do, which according to Paul in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 is to teach, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort? Well, the Bible itself says that it does. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living. It's not a dead letter, as some suggest. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, no, the Word is not the Holy Spirit. Don't make that mistake. But what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is operating with and through the Word when that Word is preached, heard, believed, and obeyed. That's why such emphasis is placed upon the preaching and hearing of the Word as people were converted to Christ and the kingdom spread throughout the book of Acts. Yes, the Holy Spirit performs special operations of power at times to confirm certain newly revealed truths of the fact that prophecy had been fulfilled, such as in Acts 2 and Acts chapter 10, and yes, the Holy Spirit endowed people in the early church with miraculous gifts to edify the church and confirm the faith until the revelation of Jesus Christ was completed. But people were not brought under conviction and brought to faith and obedience by an abstract, mysterious, or miraculous act of the Holy Spirit. It happened when they heard the Word of God and received it as opposed to rejecting it. There are numerous things that the Bible says the Spirit of God does to the heart of, and mind of man. And ironically, the Bible says the Word which the Spirit revealed does those same things. That does not mean that the Spirit is the Word or the Word is the Spirit, and I'm not suggesting that. That's just as false of a doctrine. But it means that the Spirit of God performs His work through the Word that He gave to accomplish His purpose in the life of the person. The Spirit dwells within the heart of the believer. The Bible plainly teaches that. And the Spirit may be involved in heaven's plan in ways heaven has not chosen to reveal to us. We don't know what all the Holy Spirit and angels and other beings may do behind the divine curtain on our behalf. We don't need to know that if God has chosen not to reveal it. We would never want to deny that, those possibilities. 
But friend, when you separate the influence of the Holy Spirit on the heart and mind of human beings from the influence of the Word of the Holy Spirit, you are quickly launched into a dangerous and unfounded realm of speculation and subjectivism, which is where much of the religious world is today. Thank God Christ returned to heaven and sent forth His Spirit. Because through Him and His work, the plan of redemption was made known. Christ was glorified. And that plan and the person of that plan, Christ Jesus, is preached. And it has the mighty power to convict us of our sins, to teach us of Christ, and lead us to righteousness in Him. As Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now see, the Spirit not only tells you in the Bible that you're a sinner, you learn that from hearing the Word of God. We learn that we're sinners. That's what the Word of God, it convicts us of our sins. The Spirit convicts us by means of His Word that we're sinners. And that Christ is the Savior from sin and God's anointed ruler and king. The Word of God informs us of that. The Holy Spirit also tells us by the agency of the Word He is inspired that if we place our faith in Christ Jesus, Acts 16.31, if we repent of our sins, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, if we confess Christ, Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, and if we will be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, Acts 2 verse 38 and a host of other passages, if we'll do those things, we will be saved and be numbered among the redeemed, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now friend, it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. It's possible to quench the Spirit of God. The Bible says it's possible to grieve the Spirit of God. How do we do that? By rejecting what the Holy Spirit has declared. By rejecting His overtures of grace and mercy that are found in the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is calling you, if you're not a Christian, to salvation through the Word of God as you read it and as you hear it preached. Will you respond in faith or will you resist Him and reject the glad message that the Spirit has brought?
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. It's been good to be with you today. If you would like to go back and review our study or look into it more deeply, we'd be glad to send you a printed transcript of the lesson. Get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, How the Holy Spirit Converts Sinners. How the Holy Spirit Converts Sinners. Ask for it by that subject, that title, and we'll get that free copy on its way as soon as we can. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. I hope you'll tell someone else about it in the week ahead and make your plans to join us back here next time. Until then, you can find us online, ltbstv.org. We're on social media. Be sure to like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube channel, and as well, find our podcast and subscribe and listen whenever you would like. Just search for Let the Bible Speak TV on those various platforms. Thanks for joining me. I hope to see you next time. If God is willing, until then, have a great week. May the Lord richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.